Dementia in Practice is recorded and produced in multiple locations. We acknowledge the traditional custodians of the various lands on which we meet. We pay our respects to Elders past, present and emerging and celebrate the diversity of Aboriginal peoples, their ongoing cultures and connections to the lands and waters of Australia. Sometimes I only see part of an object. To the untrained ear, some of my experiences might sound like hallucinations, but they're not. They're misinterpretations. You know, like if I'm at the supermarket and I reach in to pick up the hot chicken and all of a sudden I see a hot chicken flying towards myself. Hi, it's Hilton Coffey and welcome back to Dementia in Practice, the podcast that's made by GPs for GPs and other health professionals who want to learn more about dementia. As always, my friends and colleagues from Dementia Training Australia, Dr. Marita Long and Dr. Steph Daly, are with me. And this is the second part of a two-part conversation that I had with two people with younger onset dementia that go by the names of Heckle and Jekyll. Uh, Steph, in the first episode, what were your highlights from that conversation? I think my highlight would be the soundbite. Just because you lose your driving license doesn't mean you lose the right to drive your life. So profound. And they were both so articulate. Uh, In this episode, they're going to talk a little bit more about their relationships with their GP and neurologist. Yeah, it's really interesting, this episode, because it's really about, I guess, they're using their creativity to live well, but also it's about their connection. So their connection with each other, but as you said, their connection with their healthcare providers. And I think for the um, GPs, it will be really interesting to, to hear about how important those connections are. So let's have a listen and find out a bit more how Heckle and Jekyll are living well with dementia. Interestingly, part of having a somatic dementia throws up symptoms of um, compulsive urges to create and um, and a hyper visualization. And so I and and it's actually um, I've discovered that I use that uh, internal imagery to help me map people, places, things. And so I rely on that rather than external stimulus. I rely on internal pictures. I used to have an excellent memory in the past, and so I use that as a way to negotiate my world. And so while I was doing that, I discovered that to help me explain what was happening to the neurologist, I started to draw some pictures to help him understand. And then those pictures, he was like, wow, that makes sense because he was saying one thing I'm saying no no not like that like this I draw a cartoon to describe it and um and then he um encouraged me to keep drawing so I um you you know I've got hundreds of these cartoons now that are now collated into a book that I'm going to release soon yes yeah but I, I paint you know hours and hours and hours it's not just like a leisure it's a it's a compelling urge yeah, <laughs> two o'clock in the morning, you know, <laughs> painting away or <laughs> drawing pictures or, you you know, because it's a lot of the expression is lost so it comes out in other ways. An amazing gift that um, Jekyll's giving actually because it's an insight into dementia and 
I look at those pictures and I see my experiences as well. You know what I mean? So I think that that, that book is going to be um, amazing for, you know, people who are look, working alongside people with um, dementia just to open their minds a little bit about why somebody may be behaving in a certain way, you know, mm. what what mm. they might be seeing mm. or thinking mm. Um, mm. when they when they're in yeah. an aisle at the supermarket or mm. yeah or whatever. Um, it's it's going to be helpful for um, people mm. caring for people mm. with dementia and family members and and all sorts of people understanding external stimulus is really corrupted um with dementia and so um you know that uncertain when you get it wrong it's a real shock to the confidence and then you, it's easy to think or and and for others to think oh you know there's a dip in cognition there's a dip in um iq and that's not really what's happening you know i think it's it's really important for um, us to understand that it's not, um, it's so complex because you've still got this internal knowledge, but there's disruptions in the pathway to access it. So it's not like a dip in IQ. Even if I call a cup a pair of scissors, well, well, that doesn't sound very smart. But that's not the problem. There's a function. There's a functioning problem in the brain, and I think that really needs to be recognised. That the idea that the cup is still the cup somewhere inside is still there and intact, but it comes out wrong, or you know, or it looks kind of like what is that? You know, yeah. so resting on the mind map and building an internal confidence is a really important feature I found for myself to help me keep negotiating because it's frightening, you know. Chekhov, I'm in love with your neurologist, even though I've never met him or her. Just hearing that story about your neurologist, uh, (laughs) seeing your artwork and encouraging you, that is an amazing thing. I want to come back to that in a moment, but I wonder if you might also share the story about your neurologist, who must be the most beautiful person when I remember you telling the story about seeing someone in the waiting room who you thought was a dice. Mm. <laughs> well, yes, right. So, um, 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 you know, I was in the waiting room. So with semantic dementia, you know, um, sometimes I only see part of an object. And, um, you know, um, and to the untrained ear, you know, some of my experiences might sound like hallucinations, but they're not. They're, they're misinterpretations. So if I'm if I'm only seeing part of an object, so I'm sitting in the waiting room, and um, so and and you know, there's also an exaggerated startle response because you're seeing a lot of bizarre things, and you're like. Ah! Right, and so you can squeak a lot, you know, which is <laughs> embarrassing. You know, I remember being at the supermarket and going, "Cow!" and <laughs> yeah. so I was like, "What?" I'm like, "Oh no, not cow. We need milk." Sorry. What happened at the library yesterday? Something. Oh, you. I screamed. Yeah, yeah. Oh, right. <laughs> so I was in the waiting room and the neurologist, and um, all of a sudden, 
you know, the door opens and I see this enormous <laughs> dice. A woman walking in. Well, a I didn't big know. woman. I didn't huge. know that. I didn't know that. No, no. What, but what I saw was a dice coming towards me and I was like, ah! <laughs> what the f*** is that? <laughs> and anyway, so then, um, you know, the door closes again. There's this dice and I was like, what? <laughs> And, um, and then, you know, the neurologist opens the door and says, you know, come on, come on in, Jekyll, and says, you know, what what, what just happened? It's <laughs> got a really weird dice. <laughs> and he's like, well, let's check that out, right? So then we check it out. But it was actually a woman wearing quite an ugly black dress with great big white polka dots on it. And she was a large woman, but I couldn't see the whole, <laughs> I couldn't see the whole, you know, um, object. I couldn't or subject in this case. And so um, because the brain saw black with white dots, it's like, what is that? The memory bank. What's black with white dots? Mm, dice. And so then that's the image that gets thrown up. And then, of course, the, because I'm not psychotic, I'm, um, you know, I know that that's not possible. And so then it, it's alarming because why would I see that? Oh, I'm seeing that because a part of the brain is saying, you know, I can only see this part right now and everything becomes obsolete. So it, and knowing that now helps me negotiate my world when I'm, you know, like if I'm at the supermarket and I reach in to pick up the hot chicken and all of a sudden I see a hot chicken flying towards myself, I'm not realising my I'm bringing it towards myself because I'm, you know, grabbing it. But in that moment it's like, ah, oh, oh, right, okay, that's what's happening, you know. And so there's a lot of training I have to do myself to stay on top of what's happening, you know. And then when I, when I can put it back into that category and, 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 and say, oh, that is normal for this disease. So I'm not abnormal. This disease does this, mm. and that's normal feature for this disease. So then I can go, oh, I'm still me regardless of this disease. <laughs> And it Does sounds that make to, sense? yeah, it makes perfect sense. And it sounds to me like your neurologist Jekyll really helped that process mm. by rather than judging or reaching for the antipsychotic medication, right? Said, just took some time. Let's check this out. Yeah, and and let's have a look yeah. at this. So yeah. so respectful yeah. of you as an autonomous, intelligent. Yes independent adult let's explore this with curiosity right. rather yeah. than with judgment I, no I, I totally agree and I, I, you know he he knows that I'm hypervisual and so I, I one one time I said you know put it in a visual way for me to understand how is it that I see a dog and I say chicken right and so he he did a picture um, he, he drew you know lots of dots in a square. And he said, ordinarily, you would see a dog and you go from this dot to this dot in the corner. It would be an immediate, you know, react, you know, word and object association. But because of the dementia, these pathways are blocked. And so it's not immediate. You're going dog, cat, fur, black, hairy, small, four legs. You're trying to figure it out. And the way that he just did that little diagram, I was like, oh, I get it. I get it right now. Thank you. He found a way to tell me 
in that moment when I was seeking and he nailed it and it was great. And we have a really good relationship because uh, he's got knowledge that I need and I've got experiences that he needs. Mm. So it's mm. really uh, collaborative. Yeah, two people thinking about one person right. together, bringing their own expertise, your expertise of you and his expertise of what he learned at school. Steph, I might bring you in. Uh, as you could hear in the interview, I was so struck by Jekyll's neurologist and his curiosity and his patience. I, I just wonder what your thoughts were about Jekyll sharing those stories. Yeah, well, it, it brings to mind one of Osler's quotes, which is, the good physician treats the disease, the great physician treats the patient who has the disease. And I think that that sort of the collaboration that he has and the respect that he has for her and the almost like the that they they're working together towards something because he knows that he can learn so much from her experience that he can share with other people who are experiencing you know similar misperceptions of you know visual stimuli for example and she needs to understand what's happening to her as part of the disease and not something that's happening to her mind in some other way. And I think, you know, it's just a great synergism, isn't it, that they can work together on that. Yeah, exactly. And that they are working together in that way. Um, one of the other things that really struck me was um, when Jekyll said, they might sound like hallucinations, but they're not, they're misinterpretations. And Marita, when I heard her say that, I wondered how often I misinterpreted what people were telling me because I perhaps hadn't been as patient or as curious as um, Jekyll's neurologist. Have you had that sort of experience? Um, I think the I've really only had sort of limited experience with a couple of patients with Lewy body dementia who had um, really vivid uh, hallucinations and that it was a very different sense I guess to to what um, Jekyll was talking to us about so I yeah no I've not I've, but I've not ever had experience of you know listening to these you know misinterpretations like the story about the dice just really you know was amazing and she she has a really nice way of explaining you know, how the disease is impacting on her brain, which I guess, again, you know, it's a it's a real privilege to be able to get a look inside. It will certainly pique my curiosity where exploring any hallucinations, given that, you know, a large percentage of patients with any form of dementia will have some form of hallucination. So it will be something that will really pique my curiosity to sort of try and unpick a little bit as well. I also thought it was interesting what she said about how she has to undergo a lot of training for herself. So she kind of checks and, and works out whether what's happening and, and tries to understand it so that she can work her way through it. And, you know, that must require quite a lot of, you know, she's just developed that herself, presumably. She's just worked out a way of like her internal mind map of pictures and then how does that fit with what's going on around her? And she's she's had this ability to 
to create a new way of thinking about things. And that must take quite a lot of energy and concentration as well. It might partly come to you through her, you know, professional life, I guess, that she's had a long relationship with um, psychology and, and, you know, be very mindful of a lot of those symptoms too. We'll be talking in another episode later on uh, with a neuropsychologist and I'll be interested to hear what she's got to say about the role of psychologists or neuropsychologists in helping people almost like retrain the brain or use the the strengths that they've retained to enable them to help make sense of the changes that are going on in their brain. Mm, which is a sense what she's doing with these pictures, isn't it? So she's she's creating these cartoons to explain what's happening in her mind. And that might be relevant for somebody else to learn from as well, but that's how she's how she's retraining her brain. So she's using the pictures to keep herself able to identify what's happening in her environment, if you like. Yeah, and to help other people understand what's happening for her as well, which is, you know, the thing that's amazing. I've been fortunate enough to see some of the cartoons and they are... <laughs> I just, you know, it's one of those things you wish you'd seen that um, early in your career because it just, it would help me to be a different person with uh, people living with dementia because of the the power of those cartoons to, to show what her life experience has been like with this. Mm. Yeah, it reminds me of when we spoke to Anne as well, right at the beginning of our podcast journey, and she talked about her hallucinations and the fear and, and how frightening it was to experience it. But she was able to retell exactly what it was. So in the same way, it may not have been a hallucination, it may just been a misperception. Um, and we, you know, use these t this terminology hallucination to describe something that we don't, maybe it's not the, the right word to use to describe what's happening to people. Yeah, maybe. So it was great to hear from Jekyll about her relationship with her neurologist. And I was really keen to hear a little bit more from Heckel about her own GP. I've got a wonderful GP and um, she, is, she is alongside me every step of the road. I... I talk to her and she's just very personable and um, she remembers everything and considers everything and um, keeps me on track. The, the thing that I've appreciated a lot is um, my, my speech therapist, actually. Um, she's been really wonderful because she provides me, she goes away and finds out, finds articles and things about because I say why does this why am I having problems with my speech or whatever what what is it why is this not why aren't I able to um, say these things anymore you know because my speech go, my speech goes down um, my my voice goes down and um, I those sorts of things and she she researches and she finds a, a good article and she gives me all of the information and also at the end of the session she sends me an email um was okay this is what we discussed in this session and this is what you've agreed to do and this is what I will do and um 
you know, we'll meet up again in, yeah. in however time. So I love that. I know she's she's been amazing. She's mm. she's really good. So mm. I've really appreciated that. Um, mm. Yeah. I think I would have liked my GP originally. You know, he was super, but you know, I don't sort of have an ongoing relationship with him because I'm I'm so I have such a fabulous relationship with the neurologist that he's my primary. Um, physician, but um, but I think um, if if my GP had said, I don't know anything about this, but we can find out together, that might have been um, more workable rather than I don't know. Oof, you're on your own, you know. Like not that he said I was on my own, but he was like, get your affairs in order. You know, have you thought about travelling before? You know, you can't. Well, I'd already lived all around the world, so that I didn't need to do that, you know. So um, I think he was overwhelmed and then that made it like a, in, an impasse. Um, so thankfully my neurologist wasn't overwhelmed and, yeah. So if GPs can say, look, I don't, I don't know, but we can find out together, I think that's really doable. Yeah, that journey of discovery together. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. They're there for the long haul, those GPs, and I, I do feel like my GP will be with me. Mm. Yeah, and I'm so grateful. Um, I'm so grateful for that that she walks alongside me mm. and my family um, mm. in this journey. Yeah, I, I think I, 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 um, I, I would have liked to have been told that um, I had. To, you know, that you can find your music. You know, like I wasn't told that and maybe because they didn't know. Yes, I totally agree with that because when I was first diagnosed, you know, I was told basically go away and make you well mm. um, and research nursing homes. But I'm a long way from a nursing home and I don't even think I'll go to a nursing home. So I have a lot to give in my life and a lot to mm. enjoy. Mm. And like we have both been writing books. I'm about to publish my one called um, My Name is Phoebe Nana. Mm. And it's <laughs> about um, Jekyll's been illustrating it and I wrote it. And it's about the love between a grandparent and grandchildren. And it's about starting the conversation in a family about dementia mm. so that you can start having that conversation with mm. children. Mm. Um, so it's really for for all families mm. um, with somebody affected with dementia. Mm. So that it can be talked about, you know, if Nana's saying Absolutely. Susie and not Phoebe, yeah. what's going on with Nana? Yeah, and Instead why is of, she doing these strange yeah, things? Yeah. You know, what's, what's that yeah. about, Mum? Yeah. You know, so um, those are really important conversations. Yeah. And so this book is about opening up those conversations with, with for families so that they can have a chance to, to you know, explore that. Yeah. And it's, and, and it's also about enduring love between grandparents and grandchildren, even mm. if the grandparent mm. can't mm. express it mm. anymore. She still or he still feels it, you know, yeah. and they mm. still... And she and the little girl can tell she still feels it because mm. it's in her eyes. Mm. And I, when she snuggles in, she snuggles in. Yeah. I remember it 
a huge surge of excitement. You know, the, the first two years when I was really impacted by the trauma of the diagnosis and uh, I was watching a documentary about dementia and they um, visited um, a, a man in a nursing home who was nonverbal and really had a lot of physical um, uh, restrictions, you know, in his freedom to move and and he basically sat in an armchair all day in a nursing home, but they they brought in some headphones, and his old passion was um, playing, say, clarinet in the jazz band, and they put on some of his original music, and he went from being lost in himself to he started to blink, started to smile, started to tap, and then and then all of a sudden you sort of like whoa. <laughs> and then he got up and he kind of um he came alive and I remember just rewinding and watching that over and over like he found his music he's still there I need to find my music and my music was my passion and my my profession and I find that when I get into that um dialogue and wondering it sort of pours out again and then I go to make it tea sandwich and I'm like what the how do I do this <laughs> sorry, sorry but you know like um because that's not my passion but I get back into that and I so I um, allow myself a lot of time to hear old um psychoanalytic books and of of old you know, theorists and writers that I've always loved and it brings me alive you know and, and also I think it's really interesting Jekyll because Jekyll, I don't know if you're aware, Hilton has written a series of books about people with personality disorders, but their stories in themselves, each one's a story of a person's life. And then there's a therapist in the, in the story. <laughs> yes, the therapist is. <laughs> but, you, you know, I didn't realise that the, I needed that process because I needed to process my grief I wasn't ready to stop working yes so I created unconsciously I created patients to work with and and as I moved through you know quite a, a number of books and then and then finally rested with the therapist story where the therapist ends up with semantic dementia I I you know like I wasn't consciously designing that but I, I allowed myself to go with that process because that's what I needed. And that was my music, you know. That was your music. That yeah. was definitely your music. And at the moment we're doing another project where we're recording them um, as audio books. Yeah. Denny's reading because I can't write. I mean, I can't, I, I can't read, So, which is weird. I can write, but I can't get it back in because I can't understand the letters. But, um, yeah, so Jenny's reading them and they're beautiful. I can't wait to see them. And I'm so, I'm quite moved. And um, I'm so happy that you both found your music. Thank you, Hilton. And I'm so happy that you both found each other and how you can work together so beautifully. So beautifully. One does the drawing, the other does the words. It's just, it's it's completely, it's magic. 
Yeah. We're so lucky. We're so lucky to have found each other. In a pottery class. Yep. (laughs) Of all places. Of all places. And I'm so glad that (laughs) Uh, that we found you both as well. So Steph and Marita and I found you and that we're in some small way able to share your story to a an audience that I just know will appreciate so much what you've both shared with us today. Good. Uh, and I'm really, from my heart, so grateful to you both. Thanks. Thank, Thank you, Elton. That's really special. Thank you so much. Gosh, what an amazing interview, Hilton. <laughs> there was so much in that. Yeah. Yes. Just, uh, just so wonderful. And their story of, you know, being able to use their creativity, but the, the is, you know, is amazing. But I think the connection, the sense of connection with each other and, and with, you know, a broader community and with their healthcare professionals. And, I mean, I don't know that there's much more to say, but just, yeah, amazing. And just how fortunate it was that we did meet them so that we could share their story here and be part of their story as well on their podcast. But, you know, I'm just struck that they met each other. And um, like I said, one does the drawing and the other does the writing. What an amazing synergy Mm. between these two people. I think it really shows the power of that connection that two people who are sharing a similar experience can actually benefit from being being with each other. And although they're experiencing it in different ways, they have um, you know have gained so much from that relationship. And I think that's something that we don't make the most of currently there aren't enough opportunities for people living with dementia to mix with other people living with dementia to benefit from that relationship um i just watched a a, no no, it's a bit out of date now but it was a documentary about the dementia choir in the uk and it was bringing together a group of about 20 people living with dementia and it and it wasn't just the singing and the music that they were participating in it was the bouncing off each other and being able to appreciate that the situation that they were experiencing might have some synergies to somebody else's experience and they they all got something out of it, as well as that sort of social connection and, and communication, which is so valuable. Mm, and I think I remember in a previous episode, Steph, you were talking about just bringing some of your patients together when you were establishing your practice as a dementia-friendly practice. Yeah. And how, how um, I guess, empowering that was for the the patients who had dementia to meet other patients. Yeah, Mm. it was amazing to watch. And I think that is something that we could really take and progress forwards for people living with dementia. It's something that would really make a difference. But I also loved that I think there's something else in this interview that we can do as GPs is that when we are seeing people with Uh, who are living with dementia, who may have problems with retaining information about what's been discussed in appointments. That thing about the speech pathologist who sends a little email and says, this is what we discussed in this session today. Even just writing some notes for the person so that they've got something to reflect on when they've left the room. Because even if you don't have cognitive problems, you can sometimes forget what was discussed in a consultation. But that's something that we could we could just do tomorrow to change our practice and that would have a real benefit for people. Yeah, totally agree. Yeah, I, I agree too. And the other 
thing for me about speaking with Heckle and Jekyll is that we heard really from their strengths, like what Jekyll called finding their music and um, mm. their strengths. And I know my training in medicine and the way I think about it so much is about thinking about people's deficits and what they can't do or what they're unable to do or not so much about what their strengths are and how to empower them to use their strengths to live as well as possible. And in whatever aspect of their life we might be involved with. And this story has really struck me about uh, taking time to find out what people's strengths are and what can I do to help people enhance their strengths so that they can find meaning and, and do what Heckle and Jekyll have done so beautifully. I think that um, that comes back to this concept of re-enablement and that, you know, rather than treating dementia as a as a death sentence, we should be thinking about it in terms of rehabilitation and aiding people and assisting people to be able to work around some of the things that might be challenging for them. So, you know, that's where we can also really make a difference because if we can connect people with a really great speech pathologist who can help somebody with word finding difficulties, or if we can connect somebody with you know, some other social project like a, a choir or something where they're going to interact with other people, then that will make a difference rather than, as they both said themselves, their first kind of interaction with health professionals after their diagnosis was a very negative, you know, expression of what was happening. You know, why don't you go on holiday, get your affairs in order? Why don't you start looking at residential homes? The, the way that we talk about dementia when somebody receives a di diagnosis needs to change so that we actually help people progress rather than start to take away from them. Or send them into their cave for two years, perhaps. Exactly. And certainly... It's a great segue, actually, into our next episode, where we're going to meet an OT who's going to talk us through, um, I guess, reframing the big dilemma that we all face as GPs and for people living with dementia that is driving and how perhaps we need to, yeah, rethink about how, how we bring this conversation up. With patients and very much uh matt the uh the ot driving assessor talks about it as an enablement program so i can't wait for that and in the meantime if you want more resources head to our website dta.com.au gp or follow dementia training australia on facebook or at dementia train au on twitter If you're a person living with dementia, or if you're a family member or a carer of someone living with dementia, Dementia Australia has some great resources. The National Dementia Helpline is 1800 100 500, or you can visit dementia.org.au. Dementia in Practice is an initiative of Dementia Training Australia, which is funded by the Australian Government.